and your mercy. Hallelujah. You deserve everything, God. We give you the praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. As we are standing, we can go to the word of the Lord tonight. Book of Romans, the first chapter, Romans 1 and 16. 16 and verse 17. Amen. We've finished up our series of crossing over to the promised land. Amen. Moving on to the New Testament. Romans 1.16, it says, uh, we should f be familiar with this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Amen. We're going to start a new series tonight. We're going to be looking and diving into the book of Romans uh, and exploring uh, all the, the good stuff that Paul put in there. Amen. And so this is entitled Righteous Romans. Turn to a few people, greet them in the name of the Lord. You may be seated tonight. Amen. The, the book of Romans is one of the most powerful and most influential books of the Bible. I mean, it is just loaded and loaded with doctrine. Uh, the depth that Paul goes into salvation and justification is really hard to miss. And it's, uh, it's best read, I guess, if you can, in, in as few settings as possible because you just gather it all up, and when it, you spread it out, the longer sometimes uh, things can be uh, forgotten about, but when you read it all uh, quickly together, I mean, it gets, you get the best picture of it all, but we'll go through this uh, book together. Uh, it is masterfully written by Paul, and it is enormous foundational stone in Christianity, uh, what he covers in this book. Um, the book of Romans is not stepped over, kind of like how the book of Acts is in mainstream Christianity. Like, yeah, Acts was there, but it's not really all that important, really. We know that Acts is uh, very important, to, especially to salvation and uh, examples of be people being saved and added to the church. Uh, but it seems that Acts is kind of on the sidelines, but Romans is really... Uh, a central book in mainstream Christianity. Uh, and so it is looked to and referred most probably by nearly every denomination. They cling on to Romans. Um, I wish uh, they would cling on to Acts as much as they do Romans. Um, apostolics, we look to the book of Acts as uh, for examples of salvation and obedience of the gospel because we see uh, sinners coming to uh, salvation, uh, examples there, Acts 2, 8, 10, and 19 specifically. But Romans does not provide examples like Acts does. Uh, it does not provide examples of believers obeying and exercising their faith. Uh, it just goes into deeper levels of, of teaching and understanding of salvation uh, and so Romans is a deeper study of salvation as a whole and its implications for believers and non-believers. And, and so if you look to Romans to find out how to be saved, which is what a lot of denominations do, you run to, run to the book of Romans to, to find salvation uh, because he talks about it a lot, but it doesn't... Uh, uh, he doesn't get into specifics uh, as clearly as uh, the book of Acts does in other books. But if you just run to Romans to find salvation there, what you are left is with is uh, the just live by faith. And so you basically build a doctrine of you just got to believe. Because Romans talks a lot about you just got to believe. The just live by faith. And Abraham was righteous by his faith. And so... 
the doctrine of just believe uh, is really based out of Romans. And so it is, again, is a, a heavy doctrinal book. But you have to understand Romans, uh, how it fits in with everything else. Um, and, and so when you don't cross-reference Romans with the rest of Paul's writings and the rest of the New Testament examples, you can miss out in, uh, of important aspects of your faith and what it actually means to live by faith. You're just not going to claim I'm living by faith. Well, there's, you, actually, uh, you actually can tell when people are living by faith. And so many Christians say that you just need to believe and you just look to Romans for the example uh, 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 and the scripture to back that uh, doctrine up. But when you combine uh, Romans with the rest of Paul's writings and the other books, you get a complete picture of salvation, uh, of what it means in the process of uh, uh, obeying the gospel. And believing the gospel and obeying the gospel means you repent of your sins and you're baptized in Jesus' name and you're filled with the Holy Ghost by speaking in other tongues. That's, that's the initial uh, salvation experience um, uh, attested by every other book in, 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 uh, of Scripture when you combine it together. And, and so as an apostolic, it is crucial that we understand the book of Romans. Uh, because, as I said, many Christians will turn to it and use it as the foundation, as a launching pad uh, to explain salvation and how to be saved. And, and so, like I said, Romans is a deep theological study of salvation. But un unless uh, apostolics can provide uh, the proper perspective, then one can easily just believe and continue Believing in their easy believism, where you just gotta just just living by faith. That's all I need to do. Live by faith. And again, that's what we do. But it's so much deeper than just the surface of how it sounds. Living by faith and just believe. Second Timothy two and fifteen says, "Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, and not just not just dividing uh, one book of the Bible, but the whole." book, the whole Bible is the word of truth, and so you can't just lean 98% on Romans and just, well, the rest really doesn't all matter because Romans is where it's at. you got to rightly divide the word of truth, meaning uh, how does it work with every other message of salvation spoken of in the Bible, and so Scripture cannot contradict itself. It can't contradict itself. If it does, then it ceases to be the inerrant word of God without error. Uh, and so you cannot have one part of the Bible that says just believe. And then the other, another part of the Bible that says you need to be born of the water and of the spirit. You need to be baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. You can't have two different plans of salvation. you got to have only one. And when you understand the scriptures and how they all connect and work together, there is only one plan of salvation. And it begins with Acts 2.38 uh, as Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church. Uh, and so you can't go to Romans and say, hey, the church started here. That's, we're talking 30 years later the church, after the church started, uh, the book of Romans was written. So you're, you're, you're late to the game. You're 30 years behind. Then the church started, and, and so uh, that's why you got to be careful when you just people just run to Romans for salvation. It can be found there, but you got to understand it all in the whole context of things. And, and so uh, the Bible all works together. The New Testament all works together. There is only one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, uh, and, and so it has to work together. You cannot have dozens and dozens of writers write these books, epistles, letters, over 1,500 years, a span of at least 1,500 years of all these different writers in here, and yet they all come together and fit perfectly with one another. 
How can that happen unless there's a, a, a power, a divine power who is, who is the real author? The real author of this is God, and he, he moves a, a, upon man to, to write these things, and it's amazing how everything works together um, over this span of 1,500 years or so with all these different writers. You can't tell me that God is not the author of it. And he's not the author of confusion. He's not going to have this, this one uh, apostle or this one prophet writer say these things and it, it, it kind of doesn't work well with somebody else. Like they all work together and you have to understand that. As, as apostolics, we see how it all works together and how it all sends and, and speaks the same message of salvation. And so we as apostolics, we've got to be ready to give an answer for the book of Romans to everyone that asketh. Because, again, the majority of Christianity out there hinge upon Romans as the foundational book of salvation. And, and so before we'll dive into uh, the book of Romans, we need to learn and understand the context of this letter, uh, of this book. It is believed to have been written by Paul in the year uh, 58, early 58. Uh, somewhere around uh, that would put Romans in, in the first 10 or so that were written. Maybe, you know, 8, 9, or 10 uh, earliest books written in the New Testament. And so where did Paul write this letter, as I, as I said, it is a letter uh, to the, the Romans. Uh, it is believed to be written while Paul was in Corinth. He was at the church, and so in his downtime, I guess, he felt uh, moved by the Spirit to just write this uh, letter to the, the church in Rome. And uh, a strong argument for this is we see in Romans 16, 23, he says, Gaius is my host, and of the whole church we salute you. And so Gaius is uh, his host, meaning Paul's obviously at Gaius's house writing this. And in the church of Corinth, there is also a man named Gaius, 1 Corinthians 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. Uh, and so obviously there's many other uh, details that provide a, a, a foundation of why that Paul, while Paul was in Corinth, he is writing to Rome. Uh, and so here obviously is one uh, that he baptized Gaius in Corinth and yet he is his host during this letter. And so evidence points to Paul writing Romans while he was in Corinth for the three months or so he was there. And, and so at this writing, this letter... Uh, as of the, the writing, uh, Paul had not been to Rome, not while there was a church there. He may have went earlier in his life. We don't know. We don't, you know, we don't really have much detail. But as long as there was a church in Rome, Paul had not been there yet. Uh, he may have gone when he was younger. We don't know. But uh, while the church was alive in Rome, he hadn't been there and he had desired to go there. Um, at the end of the book of Acts, we see Paul... Uh, on his journey to Rome, he's uh, appealing, appealing his case to Caesar. Uh, he makes it to Rome, and then the book ends. It's like what a you know what building up to this great great story of of the apostle Paul going to stand before Caesar, and boop it ends. And uh, you got to turn to history, historical accounts for uh, what happened, if uh, what little details there are. Uh, so eventually, he does make it to Rome. And again, we don't have any scripture to, to talk about him if he encountered the church. I would imagine somehow he had some kind of connection there when he was there. Uh, they, they say he may have been under house arrest when he got there because he was obviously uh, being charged. Uh, but So I don't know if uh, while being under house arrest there, they allowed the people to come. We don't, I'm not sure. But uh, he was close, and I'm sure he had contact with them even more so than just writing a letter from a different city. Uh, so here he, he does make it to Rome. So who is the audience of this letter? Obviously Romans, it's written to the Romans, those that are in Rome. 
Uh, and understanding the audience who specifically he's writing this to is key to understanding this whole the whole doctrine that is presented here, especially from an apostolic viewpoint. Because he was writing to the churches in Rome. He was writing to born-again believers. You're not, there, you cannot have a church if there's people that are not born again. Uh, and so he's writing to born-again believers who he's not writing to sinners. He's not just writing an open uh, a letter to the editor of Rome, say, hey, publish this for all the sinners out there. Uh, no, he's writing to specific people. He's writing to the church. Um, if that was the case, if he was just writing an open letter to whoever so, then the message of salvation would be more of just believe and just live by faith. But uh, we know that he is not writing to sinners. He's writing to people that are already saved. And so that changes the context of everything, doesn't it? When he's talking about salvation, uh, when we talk about salvation to one another, uh, we talk about it differently. We talk about it more in depth than we would somebody who has no idea what, what salvation is, you know. Uh, and so that's the book of Romans. It's written to church people. Uh, and so it's a deeper walk, a deeper talk. Uh, and so you just you can't run to that and, and feed that to um, uh, sinners uh, because the, the only message then is just believe. Uh, and so, which is not what the complete plan of salvation is. And so, he wasn't writing to sinners. He, was, he wasn't explaining salvation to the unsaved or unrighteous people. He was talking to born-again believers, people who are already obeyed the gospel, the plan of salvation. They are already baptized in Jesus' name, already filled with the Holy Ghost. He alludes to all of these things in this letter uh, and so that's why we don't find uh, stuff like Acts 2.38 in Romans because they've already believed. They've already done that. And so he doesn't reiterate all that. He, he goes into a deeper level of what salvation means. And, and so the church of Rome wasn't a, a weak church. It was a very strong church, strong in their convictions, strong in their belief, uh, they were not spiritual babies like the church at Corinth was. We, we can tell by that because in Paul's writing to Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, you can tell. He's like, I wanted, to, I wanted to, 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 to give you good stuff, to give you meat, but you're not able to handle it. You should be teachers by now, but you're not able. You're, just, you're still drinking milk from the Word. You're still infants. You're still babies. You're still immature in the Word of God. Uh, and that's clearly spelled out in Corinthians. So obviously we can identify that the Corinthian church wasn't really uh, as strong as it should have been or as it needed to be. But here in Romans, he's, he writes on a deep level. This is one of Paul's deepest uh, writings. Uh, and so you're not going uh, to write a deep letter to somebody who, who can barely grasp at the simple things. Uh, and so uh, he writes really deep. It's a logical, it's systematic uh, explanation of salvation. Uh, and so uh, the Corinthians letters, they were kind of milk and babysitting, but uh, Romans is meat. Romans is a steak dinner for uh, uh, developed, mature Christians. They can understand and ingest and digest what he's writing here. Since Romans uh, ruled the world, Rome was the place to be. The city of Rome was the place to be, the epicenter of the world power. It would be like writing to the church of Washington, D.C. Uh, the, the, the churches there, what, this is how it identifies with us. Uh, Rome had a population of about 4 million people back then at this time. And uh, according to historians, Rome had a large Jewish population they said it had at least 11 synagogues, 11 Jewish synagogues in Rome. And so there's a lot of, a strong Jewish uh, population there. And also, one historian said there's an, quote, immense multitude of Christians, an immense multitude of Christians in Rome uh, in this time. Uh, and you know, they've, 
you know, they've got to be born-again believers because, uh, you know, the church is about 30 years old. There's not too much, uh, the, 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 the truth and uh, the doctrine is, is really pure at that time. It's not watered down like, you know, in a couple hundred years later when the Council of Nicaea meets together, all the church leaders. Christians, most of them probably were born again believers because being so close to the, the, the birth of the church, the, the doctrine was pretty pure. And that's where while the apostles were still alive, they're fighting to keep that pure. Uh, fighting against false doctrine as Paul was writing uh, uh, many letters. And so uh, it is very, it was a very large church in Rome. It didn't have a large building. But it was believed to be made up of small groups, lots of small churches, house churches. Imagine trying to build a, a coliseum for Christians. Uh, it would be a lot of money. Even nowadays, building a, a huge church, it's a lot of money. Uh, and so uh, here in Rome, obviously the synagogues had, had the money to build, build these synagogues. But Christians, uh, the new, new kids on the block, didn't have uh, the money. And then didn't really need uh, that big a big building, they can have church and homes. Uh, and so uh, that's what uh, the church in Rome looked like, uh, kind of like in Acts 2, uh, breaking bread from house to house, continuing in the, the apostles' doctrine. Uh, that's what Rome, the church at Rome was made up of. And we see uh, evidence of this in Paul's farewell to the Romans in chapter 16, uh, verse 3, greet Priscilla. And Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks unto whom not only I give thanks, but also unto all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Aquila and Priscilla's house, they had a church in their house at the meeting of, of believers. Uh, salute my well-beloved uh, Apennitus. Who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ? Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor among us. Salute Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles. They they had to be doing a great work if uh, they, they were, the apostles were talking about them. Um, who were also who were in Christ before me? They came they they came before Paul. Obviously, Paul was rather late to the game, but. Uh, I think he made up for time. Uh, and so greet uh, Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, my helper in Christ. And uh, Statius, my beloved. Salute Apellus. Uh, Aristobulus' household. Again, reference to a, 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 possibly another church there, house church. Salute Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet them that be of the household of uh, Narcissus, which are in the Lord. And so uh, Paul here in his, in his farewell chapter, he's, he's sending out all these greetings, salute all these people. And we can see he knows them, he knows these people, he knows that they're, what's going on there, uh, churches in their homes. Uh, and, and so even in Paul gives a shout out to the born again believers that are that the saints that are in Caesar's palace. Philippians 4:22 All the saints salute you Philippians chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. So here in Caesar's house in his palace there's believers one God apostolic born again tongue-talking believers that are in Caesar's household, amen. And so you can see that the power of the gospel is spread all throughout the world. It is increasing. And even in Rome, in Caesar's very household, there are born-again believers that have been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. And so you see who the audience of Paul is, of Romans is. He's not writing to just random sinners on how to be saved. He, who haven't given their life to Christ. Romans is talking to mature, born-again believers, and he's even naming many of the church leaders. Uh, and so if you're just coming to Christ, 
Romans really doesn't uh, simply explain what it means to be born again. That's why we go to the book of Acts. That's why we go to uh, Acts 2.38 because that aligns with what Jesus said in John 3 and 5, being born again. And then we see examples of Acts 2.38 and Acts, uh, Acts chapter 8 and 10 and 19. We see that happening. So we, we see when you first come to Christ, we see what the plan of salvation is. You don't take them to Romans because it's written to born again believers. And so once you've obeyed Acts 2.38, then you'll understand the depth and the weight of what happened to you. And Romans is a good book that explains really what is going on on a deeper level. Uh, and so... The first argument an apostolic would make is that the book of Romans was written to people that are already saved. They're already saved. Uh, and so you're not, you're not explaining the, the basic salvation of them to people who are already saved. Uh, evidenced by the last chapter that we just read. Uh, 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 he's, he knows people there. And so he's writing this letter to them. Uh, and so you would say, okay, well, let's just close the book of Romans. Uh, if we're doing a salvation discussion, close the book of Romans because it's written to people who are already saved. So you got to back up then. If they're already saved, how did they get saved? They didn't get saved by the letter of Romans because they were already saved. How did they get saved? And so Romans doesn't, the argument doesn't win there because, they're, again, they were already, there was already a church there. Uh, and so... Who started the church in Rome? Paul never been. He didn't start it. Uh, and so the Catholic Church believes that Peter started it. Uh, but then why didn't Paul give a shout out to Peter in, the, in his letter? I mean, if he's the bishop, if he's the pastor of, of the Rome, uh, church at Rome, if he started it all, why didn't he mention Peter in his exhaustive letter? Uh, and so, uh, you know, there's... There's not really much support that Peter started it. But uh, there are a few explanations of, of who maybe started the church in Rome, or at least got it going, got the flame there. Uh, the first one is, uh, on the day of Pentecost, there were Jews from Rome that happened to be in Jerusalem. Jews from Rome in Jerusalem. We see this in Acts 2.10. Uh, uh, Phygia and Pamphylia in Egypt. And in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. So here on the day of Pentecost, there happened to be Roman Jews standing there hearing what is going on. Uh, and we know that 3,000 souls were added to the church on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 souls heard Peter's preaching. They were baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, as Scripture says, added to the church. And so could it be that these, these Jews from Rome who were there uh, in Jerusalem, and could it be that they were numbered among the 3,000 that day, and then they came back to their city on fire for God and began preaching about what happened in Jerusalem and the Holy Ghost falling upon them, speaking in tongues, and, and the power of God fell in their homes while they were testifying of what happened. And boom, that's, that's how churches are started when the Holy Ghost is poured out because somebody's preaching and testifying of, of the goodness of God. Uh, and so somebody uh, brought the fire to Rome. Maybe a good chance that it was those, that those Jews there mentioned in Scripture at the day of Pentecost. It seems very likely a good starting point to it, very possible. Another possibility could be uh, relatives of Cornelius. Acts chapter 10, the, the first Gentile recorded in Scripture uh, in that aspect of, of, of being uh, born again. Uh, in his household, all those that were there with him in his household. He was a very devout and righteous man. Uh, and, uh, and so maybe some of them were just happened to be visiting. Uh, maybe they lived in Rome. And they got filled with the Holy Ghost. The power of God fell. And they went back, back to their home in Rome and started talking about what happened. Uh, who know, it could have been. Um, there's also many options of many of the churches that uh, the apostles started. On their missionary journeys, saints could have left those churches and went to uh, Rome. Um, and so Paul knew a lot of people. He'd never been there, but in 
in chapter 16, he's naming a lot of names. And many of them who, who helped him and worked with him. So he met them along his missionary journey. We know Aquila and Priscilla, uh, they're mentioned elsewhere uh, helping out. And, and, and so it could be that saints from other churches, from other cities and countries moved to Rome. Because, again, Rome is the capital of the world. There's lots of business in Rome. And so, um, but maybe a little bit of both, maybe a little bit of Acts 2 Jews and maybe some of uh, Cornelius' Gentile family maybe they made it uh, but we don't we don't have the details of how the church started but we do know that there was a large amount of believers in Rome when Paul was writing his letters and so somehow some way the Holy Ghost got there to Rome somebody brought the fire uh, to Rome and unleashed it and God uh, and the church was having revival in Rome for many many years. And so that's the beginning of, of, of the church at Rome. Uh, and so then why is Paul writing this letter? There's always a purpose, right? I mean, uh, many, many of uh, his letters to other churches were written to address issues that were going on. The, the carnality in the church of Corinth, he wrote, had to write two letters to them, uh, specifically addressing the carnality stuff, and obviously throwing doctrine in there about gifts of the Spirit, all these things. But uh, there was issues going on there, and, and him, Paul being the apostle to the Gentiles, he was, you know, he was covering all bases and, and trying to keep everyone in line. Uh, and so, you know, Thessalonians, one of his earlier letters written to the church at Thessalonica because of their fear about persecution and thinking the rapture had already happened and the great day of the Lord is, was here. And so he wrote that there. And so what? why is he writing to the Romans? What's the issues going on there? What's going on in Rome? Uh, well, it seems uh, early in his letter that Paul is writing to the church and he's just kind of letting them know that he plans to visit them. Hey, I'm going to come there one day. Uh, just letting you know, uh, letting you know that we see this in in the first chapter in his introduction, verse nine. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. And that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. So they already have the faith, mutual faith. They have the same faith as uh, the Apostle Paul. So they're well-established church. They don't, need to know under, they don't need to know what it means to be born again. They've already done that. Uh, and so now would, and I have you ignorant, brethren, that uh, oftentimes I purposed to come to you, but was let uh, hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among the Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as it is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. And so we can see in his introduction He's, he's saying, man, I've been wanting to come to you guys. I've been wanting to, to, to go there and, 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 and go to service with you in church and preach and uh, meet you all. Uh, many times he's been wanting to go, but, but for some reason the Spirit wouldn't let him go. Uh, and so uh, Paul being the apostle to the Gentiles and Rome being full of Gentiles, uh, the most powerful Gentile city on the planet, you know Paul had such a desire to go. And he wanted to be there to go and preach. But since he couldn't be there in person, he wanted to bless them with a word and again to, 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 to gain their support in, in, in ministry. Uh, and so uh, Romans 15 verse 14, it says, And I myself am persuaded of you, my brethren, and ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. Now, if Paul, the Apostle Paul, is persuaded of the church, the people in Rome of their belief, 
and their, 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 their doctrine and their holding to the gospel, you know that they're a mature church, that they're a strong people. They're not, they're not just some sinners. Why would Paul be persuaded of, of the goodness of sinners if he's trying to write to some sinners? Again, he's writing to a church, a well-established church. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort and putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. He continues on in verse 20. Yea, so I strive to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Uh, again, referring to the church there, um, he, didn't, he didn't lay this foundation in Rome. Some other person built the foundation uh, of the church there. But as it is written, to whom he was not yet spoken of, they shall see, and that they have not heard shall understand. For which cause I have also, I have been much hindered from coming to you, but now, having no more place in those parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you. So for many years, he's been wanting to go to Rome, which means the church has been there for many, many years. Uh, if he's been wanting to go there. Uh, and so this is 58, he wrote it. It's been, the church has been around for many years that Paul's been in this, that he's been wanting to go. Uh, verse 24, whensoever... I take my journey to Spain. He wanted to go to Spain and preach. I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way th thitherward by you uh, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. And so he wanted to go to Spain, and he says, I'll, I'll, I'll stop and, and see you in Rome, and maybe you can help me continue on to Spain. And so he's writing... Uh, to let him know that he wants to come, he's been trying to come, but he's also trying to get their support. Hey, when I do come, I know that I'm from Rome, I want to go to Spain, so I may need some help to get me uh, to Spain. And so he's, he's trying to get some support and build them up there. And so, uh, but currently he was being led by the Spirit elsewhere as he was writing this. He said, I got to go to Jerusalem to minister to the church, to the saints there. Uh... So Romans was Paul's rain check. Uh, he wanted to go, but he couldn't at that moment. So he sent, instead of being there, he sent his sermon notes ahead. And that's what the, the book of Romans is, 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 a, is a great message of doctrine. And so there was, since there was a heavy presence uh, of Jews, all wanted to encourage the Christians that were there. Uh, because obviously the majority of the Jewish religion has not, had not accepted Christianity. They rejected Jesus. And so the Jews are still holding to the law, and Christians are showing up and say Jesus fulfilled the law. And so the, the Jews, I mean, they know, they know the law uh, like the back of their hand. And so they would, uh, Jews were always coming after Christians, trying to convert the Christians back to uh, uh, the Jewish faith, uh, and so a lot of this you can see in Paul's writing here, he's, he's, he's thinking about those Judaizers, as they call them, uh, that, are, that would attack the church and try to distort the doctrine that was preached unto them, and, and so um, the way Romans is written was designed to tear down any Jewish stronghold, any kind of argument that a Jew had, Romans dismantles it. And so uh, by that, we know that he was thinking about protecting the church from the Jews, the heavy, uh, the, the Scripture-believing Jews, Old Testament, who would use Scripture against the, the Christians. But Romans tears down every Jewish uh, stronghold and belief. And so... It's really a powerful, powerful book. It tears down the differences between Jew and Gentile. tears down any differences between bond and free. It takes us all down to our basic level of humanity. We are all humans, and we are all in need of a Savior. That's what he does in Romans. We're all humans, 
It doesn't matter who you are, we all need a Savior. And Jesus Christ is that Savior. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, you need the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you can quote the Torah or if you have no idea how to spell the Torah as the Gentiles did not. Uh, if you have no idea who Jehovah is or who God is, it doesn't matter. You need the gospel in your life and you need to obey the gospel. It doesn't matter if you've been in this for decades or you are just getting in, you need the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. That's what Romans does to all strongholds and all beliefs. It breaks everything down and says, hey, nope, we're all on the same page. We're all on the same page. We're all sinners that need saving. And that's the powerful argument that, that Paul uses in the book of Romans uh, and the message to uh, the church at Rome and that general, the church at large, thank Thank God for the book of Romans because it is a great, powerful, powerful book that we can use in the church even today. Musicians, if you would come. And so our text for this series, and really the main point, if you can, if you can pull, out a, uh, pull out one verse, one or two verses from the entire book of Romans to, to summarize it, to, to wrap it all up, verses, it would be, our text, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're Jewish, guess what? You need the gospel. If you're a Greek, guess what? You're, you need the gospel. And by mentioning Jew and Gentile, you cover the entire human race. We're all the same and we're all need a, we all need the gospel. Uh, verse 17, for therein, there in the gospel, in the power of the gospel, believe in it, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. It doesn't matter who you are. If you are a just Gentile, you're going to live by faith. If you are a just Jew, you're living by faith. And so really there's no difference and uh, we'll see when we get into it how Paul breaks it down. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, especially uh, not after what Jesus did. And that was obviously the whole purpose of Jesus is to break down that barrier, to break down that veil that anybody now has access to the Holy of Holies in the spirit of Almighty God. And so that really, Romans 1 and 16 and verse 17 is the, the foundational verses for the whole book. That explains the whole book of Romans right there. And the gospel is available to everyone, and you've got to believe it and obey it in order to receive it. The just shall live by faith. Do you stand with me tonight? The just shall live by faith. It is quoted here in Romans. It is quoted uh, in Hebrews. It is quoted, I think, in Galatians. But Paul did not come up with that saying, Paul, as he said, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul was quoting from the Old Testament. Habakkuk 2 and 4, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And so Paul is quoting an Old Testament prophet Habakkuk here in the book of Romans. But what does James say about faith? James says, don't tell me about your faith. He says, show me your faith. Show me your faith. Don't just tell me about it because faith without works is dead. You can believe if you want, but if you really believe something, you're going to see something come out of that. If you believe, then you're going to obey, aren't you? If you believe a hurricane is coming, you're going to do something about it, won't you? You're just not going to stand in your house. Oh, I believe it. I believe it as the hurricane comes. No. Uh, faith produces something in our life that produces a fruit. As James says, faith without works is dead. And so don't tell me your faith. Show me your faith. That's how you know somebody really is a believer when you can see their faith. If you believe the gospel and you're going to obey it, aren't you? If you really believe the gospel, you will obey it. If you believe in Jesus, 
If you really, really believe in Jesus, then you're going to do what he says to do, right? And if Jesus says you need to be born again, born of the water of the Spirit, you cannot believe Jesus and not do that. It's contradiction, right? And so you must be born again of the water and the Spirit, and that is how the just live by faith. They, they live by their faith and obedience to the Word of God. There is evidence, there is the fruit in their lives uh, that they are a man or woman of faith. You can tell when somebody is devout, can't you? When they're serious about their faith, you can tell. They don't have to explain it to you. You can tell that that, that person is a person of faith. It doesn't mean they believe the truth, but they believe their, their doctrine. They believe their faith. There's some, there's some devout Baptists that can put apostolics to shame by the way that they live according to their faith, right? You know people by their fruits. You know a devout Christian when you see them and their actions. And that doesn't mean it's right, the right doctrine, but it means that they're living by their faith. So many Christians just name it and claim it. And you can tell if they really are serious or not, can't you? If the, the people that claim to be Christians, if they invited you to a church, you'd probably be like, eh, they go to church? I didn't, it doesn't even look like they go to church. Or act like, from what I can tell, you don't go to church. But somebody that does go to church, you can tell. And again, uh, even even uh, Islamists or, or, or any kind of religion, you can tell who the devout people are, the serious people are, because they truly believe it with all their heart. It doesn't mean it's the truth, but their actions and their life reflect their faith. And so, um, so many Christians just name it and claim it, and you can tell they really don't believe it. You can you can tell that they're not born again. You don't have to. You don't have to get in a deep discussion about it. You can tell if they've been born again. Because the gospel has power. The gospel has power to change, power to transform. It, it has a life-altering power. Uh, as Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. Somebody that has been saved has, been, has come in contact with some power in their life, and they're not the same once they come in contact with the real gospel, with the real truth. It's going to change their life forever, and it's going to alter the way they look, the way they act, the way they, they do things, the way they say things, everything is going gonna, is gonna to be impacted because they came in contact with some power. So what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And how do you obey it? How do you apply the gospel to your life? Will you die through uh, to sin, through repentance, and you're buried with Christ in the waters of baptism? You experience the power of the resurrection when you receive the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. And then your, your, your life has been transformed and you're never the same again. And so uh, having uh, went through that and experienced the power of salvation, when you read the book of Romans, you have an understanding that you know, you know what he's talking about. But somebody that just that has no idea what how to spell Bible, uh, the book of Romans is going to lead them in a different direction because, it, again, Paul's not writing to sinners. He's writing to born-again believers who have been baptized in Jesus' name. I'm, I'm thankful for the Word of God, for the doctrine that we study to show ourselves approved. Every single book, it can be used for doctrine because God is the author of it all, and we got to understand it, and we got to rightly divide it because we don't need to be led astray by every wind of doctrine or things that come along. We understand and we know the truth of the Word of God. I'm thankful to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. And we can identify with Paul and his writings and identify in faith with him. Amen. Man, let's worship the Lord together and thank Him for His Word. Thank Him for what He's done and what He's going to do in our lives. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. I come Lord, we come to you, Jesus. We look to you, Lord, the author and finisher of our faith.
some praise hallelujah thank you jesus thank you lord for your grace and your mercy thank you lord for all that you've done for us lord for the gospel of salvation for for saving us lord while we were yet sinners you died for us we thank you we never we can never repay you god but we're going to worship and praise you as much as we can we give you the praise in jesus name thank you lord thank you lord and may god bless you all you're dismissed tonight in jesus name and we'll see you back here for worship Sunday.